Okay, so um, here in this season, what we feel God is doing is he is coming to us to prepare us for this new season ahead. He is taking each one of us by the hand. Everyone here, we believe, is handpicked by the Lord. And he has taking us by the hand and he's saying, we're going on a new journey. This is how I want you to live. This is what I want to do in you. This is what I think of you. And God wants each one of us to become the fully fledged, unique self that you and I were designed to be. In the whole world, there is one of you. And in God's sight, each of us is a masterpiece. And he's speaking about putting off the old self. Do not live a life that conforms to what parents or peers or family or workmates or anyone else would like you to be, but allow God to make you what he designed you to be, your own unique self. And could we go on? Yeah, could we go on? Um, so God is wanting to address the whole of us. Very often, we only address the spiritual side of our being. But we are people made in the image of God. As God thinks, we think. As God feels, we feel. As God is spirit, we're spirit. As we have a body, Jesus had a body. As God makes relationships, so we make relationships. Every single part of us is made in the image of God. And we are often quite familiar with how God speaks to us in the spiritual realm. We've heard a word, a prophecy this morning. We sometimes see a picture. Sometimes there's an impression deep inside of us, that inner voice that we know is God speaking to us. Sometimes a Bible verse leaps off the page and penetrates our whole being. And again, we know that the Holy Spirit speaks to us. But this morning, in knowing about ourselves, I would like to look at the emotional side of us. Because often, when we are in church, we learn about the spiritual side, but we don't learn about the emotional side of our makeup, which equally is made in the image of God. And I want to say to us this morning that often, well, always, God speaks to us in our feelings. Our emotions are as important as our spirit, they're as important as our relationships, they're as important as our physical body and what we think. And what Jesus wants to do is to come to each part of us and realign each part of us so that we conform to the likeness of Jesus. So, as I said, God is an emotional being. You know, we, as we read the word, you can't help but see that. Sometimes he's ecstatic. Sometimes he's, well, all the time, he's joyful. He rejoices over you with singing. Sometimes he's sad. All the time, he is loving because his very nature is love. He is full of empathy and understanding and compassion. Each one of these things 
our emotions. And we are made in that image. And God has given us a wide range of emotions. So if we could have the next. Okay, so there is the emotion of anger. And this would include fury, hostility, irritability, and annoyance. Next one. There's the emotion of sadness, grief, self-pity, despair, dejection, loneliness. Fear. Sometimes we feel anxiety, edginess, nervousness, fright, terror, apprehension. Enjoyment, joy, relief, contentment, delight, thrill, ecstasy, euphoria. Love, acceptance, trust, devotion, and adoration. Surprise, shock, amazement, and wonder. Disgust, contempt, scorn, distaste, revulsion. Shame, guilt, remorse, humiliation, embarrassment. That is a huge range of emotions that each one of us is capable ex of experiencing on a daily basis, and we can go from one to the other. Now, I'd like to say just one thing here. I want to throw this in. God gave us the capacity to feel. It is part of being made in his image. But God is not responsible for all of those emotions. In heaven, there is no shame. In heaven, there is no fear of the crippling sort. In heaven, there is anger, anger at what the enemy has done. But not anger like we experience in, in on the earth when we want to fight each other and hurt each other. So all of those positive emotions are from God. Some of those other emotions came in at the fall, but they are all emotions. And because we are emotional beings, we feel and experience the whole gambit of emotions. But the difficulty for Christians is this. Could we change the slide? Is that often, certainly speaking for myself, from my earliest experience of being a Christian, I was taught that my feelings don't matter. That the only thing that is important in life is the fact of the word of God. And that in any given situation, the only thing I should put my weight on is what the word says. 
so my faith follows the word. And I was taught never to put my trust in feelings. And somehow, in my mind, I came to think that my feelings were of the flesh, unreliable, in a way, sinful. And so, for many, many years, I have discarded many of my feelings. There's also another unspoken rule among Christians, and it's this. If I feel negative feelings, I must be ungodly. I must be in sin. So let's say something happens and I feel really angry, or I feel really fearful, or I feel really depressed then there is something unspoken within Christians that feels I shouldn't feel like that. There's an expectation, totally unspoken, but it's an internal pressure. I should be always happy. I should be joyful. I should be overcoming. And so what we feel is at odds with what we believe. And so this is what happens. I lift the rug up and I put them all under, and I carry on. I'm believing God, but my heart is broken. I'm believing God, but I am depressed. I'm believing God, but I am scared, sick. And so we become, without meaning to in any way, we become empty shells because we're denying our feelings but we've got smiley faces painted on the outside because we have our church smile, our Christian smile, the world is okay with me smile, but our heart can be broken or any number of other feelings. And what Jesus wants to say this morning is it's okay to feel. And we are to become a people who are free to feel our feelings. Interestingly, do you know another unspoken, unspoken rule that we put on ourselves, and it's this. Sometimes if we feel really happy, we feel guilty at feeling happy. Because equally, we feel it's not Christian to be full of joy and full of exuberance and overflowing with all sorts of good things. So we, we damp that down as well. We push that down because, you know, just got to appear moderate with the smile, but that's enough, no more. And, uh, and that's how we are. Um, but God wants each one of us to feel our feelings without censoring them. So I'm going to give you a little tiny example. Um, so I wrote this last week, and I was thinking last week, what is a feeling that I have experienced in the week running up to that, that I haven't processed, that I haven't done anything with? So I had a quick think, it wasn't hard to find any number of examples, and, um, and I cast my mind back to the Sunday before when Andy Hall was here, so many of you will remember when Andy was speaking. And on that Sunday, on that whole weekend, Andy was staying at our house. And on the Sunday, we had the fab meeting, listening to him speak, ministering to people. 
And then after all that was done, I rushed home an hour and a half after the service to make lunch. And I am quickly trying to throw together some homemade soup in my machine. And in my kitchen, I've got Andy talking to me and he is just getting a download from heaven and he's trying to communicate it with me and I'm trying to make the soup and then we've got guests coming in the afternoon we've got the leadership team coming around and Andy's going to speak to all of us so I know it's been so late they're coming in 10 minutes and I've got to make the soup feed us and we've got to then be ready for them with you know some nice cakes and on top of that, I had four students. You know that we have uh, foreign students come and live with us. And that afternoon, I had four new ones coming. They were coming at a stagger time. So I have to have a meal ready for them. And, you know, it was all going on. And inside, I felt very stretched. And then Gerald, my darling husband, walked into the kitchen the leaders are coming in like five minutes, nobody's eaten, and Gerald said, I think I'll make some scones. <laughs> and in that moment, my feeling was intense <laughs> annoyance. I mean, I, just for a nanosecond, there was, yeah, well, well. <laughs> But the, re the only reason it was a nanosecond was because I just thought to myself, Lynn, don't say anything about the scones, just carry on with the soup. And that was all I could do in that moment, get on with the soup. Gerald made the most delicious scones. We ate, we ate the soup. The leadership team had texted me to say they were going to be 20 minutes late. So all was well there, and none of my students turned up until the leaders' meeting had finished. So all, you know, whew. and then I did a meal at 6 o'clock, and all was well. We survived the afternoon. But then when I was preparing this, I thought, right, what was that annoyance all about? Why did I feel so intensely annoyed? And I'm afraid this is the ugly truth. So the first reason I was annoyed, these two tied equal really, was that's what I, I'll make myself look good. I'll give you the, the most noble reason first. The first reason was, as many of you will know, visitors won't know, Gerald was quite ill over the summer. And he needs to really slow down a bit. And here he was taking on another job when really, in my opinion, it would have been better if he'd had a 10-minute sit-down and just, you know, chilled a bit because that would help him physically. That was the very best reason for my annoyance. <laughs> it is all downhill from here, whoever said that. The second reason for my annoyance was... I am pulling my hair out. Does he not realise this is a working kitchen? I have got so much to do. I don't need all that mess, you know, flour everywhere and all that sort of thing. Is there not enough on our plate? That was the second reason. So frustration, anger, annoyance. Probably six other things in there. But the third reason was the worst one. And the third reason was this. So, <laughs> in that instant,
instant, I felt like David when Nathan the prophet goes to him. And Nathan says to David, David, he's, so David's committed adultery with Bathsheba. And David has got, I don't know, a thousand concubines, 600 wives. Goodness knows how many women available to him. But Nathan the prophet says, you have all of this, David. And this man here had one little lamb. But instead of taking from the 4,000 over here, you took the little lamb that belonged to that one man. And in that moment, that's how I felt. Because Gerald and I were very, very different. And I think Gerald has got a very broad gift set. He is a very unusual man. He's gifted creatively. He's got a, he's, you know, off the chart on, on the right brain function and in the left brain function. He's brilliant at all sorts of things. He's a bit like Paul the Apostle in that way. Well, in lots of ways, really. Whereas I feel I've got a much more limited gift set. It's much smaller. It's very good, but it's smaller. <laughs> but one of my gifts is that I'm a good cook. But in that moment, he was doing the cooking. Well, that's, that's my department. Are you taking my one little gift when you've already got 100? It's not quite that many. And in that moment, if I had stopped to think about it, which I didn't, where is, what is that all about? Where's my identity? Where's my security? Where is God's woman of faith and power? In that instant, God's woman of faith and power was felled at the knees. She was cut off at the knees. But she wasn't cut off because the prince of the power of darkness had come and attacked her and outwitted her and thwarted her. She was cut off at the knees because of a plate of scones. It's pathetic, isn't it? Now, I would submit to you that is one feeling on one day for one moment. And I just carried on. But if you will stop to take note of your feelings, it opens up the inner man to what God wants to touch. And then suddenly, the word of God and my walk with Jesus goes much deeper. So I can know the doctrine of justification. I can know about tithing. Somebody mentioned that. I can have great theories on heaven, but what about my security? That's where God wants to touch us. That's where he wants to touch us, all of us. And I'll tell you another thing. All of us have got ugly thoughts on the inside. But God doesn't care. Because the truth is, somebody, uh, probably Graham, I think, at the beginning, and Al, the truth is God knows all about it. And you are surrounded by his love. And what he wants to do is take each one of us and get out the ugly bits and the, the ungodly bits, the sinful bits, 
and he wants to deal with them. So we become who he has destined us to be in the likeness of Jesus. That's why we need to allow ourselves to feel. So, if we have a feeling, what do we do? So the first thing, really, and this is true across all areas of our life, and we're going to come back to this over and over again, the big thing I think God wants each of us to do is to slow down so we can begin to hear him speak into these things. If we are going to be a people, and we are going to be a people who are deeply, truly spiritual and spirit-led, we have to slow our lives down so that we can discover what's going on in that 90% of the iceberg that is um, submerged. So we have to take time each day. There's an old... Uh, there's an old Christian, and his name has just escaped me. can't quite remember who it was. Um, and he would, every evening, he would take time and he would do something called the examine, the prayer of the examine. And just before he went to bed, but, you know, it's different. He was a monk, and, but he would take time and he'd mentally run through the day. How did I feel throughout the day? What went on? How did I feel when that person in the supermarket shouted at me? How did I feel when somebody spoke sharply to me? Why am I always in a hurry? Why, am I, why was I so impatient when I was at the roundabout and the lady in front was a learner driver and wouldn't move? We need to take time daily to begin to look at what is going on inside of us. We heard a man uh, in the summer, Gerald and I, a few of us actually, um, a gentleman called Mark Stibby, and you, many of you will know him. And he was a man, when he was, I think it was six, anyway, he got packed off to boarding school. And from six, until, he's probably now in his 40s, from six until just recently, he never, ever allowed himself to feel anything. Because at six years old, the only way he could uh, survive boarding school was not to feel anything. The first two or three days was utterly traumatic, and he knew, I've got to not feel anything to survive this. So when, much later, some big things happened in his life, he did not have the ability to feel because he had suppressed it for 30, 34 years, 40 years. So he was unable to feel. It was like every feeling he ever had, he pushed it down, and it became hard inside of him. The earth was compacted, and it was impenetrable. So the way he taught himself to feel was every day he would take time to journal. And little by little... He invited the Holy Spirit in, and the Holy Spirit was able to unpack that hardness that he developed over the years, and the earth became unpacked. And in fact, the day we heard him speak, he, he fell. He, he fell morally. And he'd been on this journey of, you know, to a place of repentance. And the, 
he's through all the repentance, everything is wonderful. Well, no, not everything actually, but he, he, he's a long way through his journey. But that man wept on stage. And that was the degree of restoration that he could feel with the, with the movement of the spirit. He could feel as God had designed him to do. So we need time to draw aside. Forget everybody else. Take some time for yourself. And take time in silence so that you can process what is going on inside of you. And why did I feel like that? And then the second thing we need to do is we need to bring that feeling to the Lord in all its ugliness. There is no shame before your father because he loves you. And he knew all about those feelings before he ever chose you to be his son and daughter. So believe that he loves you and bring that feeling honestly to him. Bring the hatred, bring the anger, bring the jealousy, bring the bitterness, bring the joy, bring the happiness, and invite him, Lord, I want you to come into these feelings. I need you to help me. I need you to help me over in insecurity over a scone. I mean, I ask you, a scone. And then the third thing uh, that we need to do is this. There are definitely feelings within us that we can't navigate on our own. And this is why Jesus put us in a body. Because we're not meant to navigate everything on our own. We need the help. So I might come to one of my friends and I might say, look, this is really ugly. I'm just being honest. This is how I feel but I don't know how to get round it, over it, past it. I am not trusting, I'm not looking to that person to fix me. Fixing is my responsibility with Jesus, but I am inviting a different perspective into my soul and spirit because a fresh pair of eyes that are trusted is one of the most valuable things you can have in the whole world. And, and, you know, we're a people, we build walls around us. We build to keep people out. I built like that for decades, to keep people out because I was so fearful of, of other people, really. They'd hurt me badly in my growing up years. And so we build these walls. Well, then the third thing is to have, actually, I've got these in the wrong order, but to have courage, brothers and sisters. There is no painless way to take the walls down. You just have to do it. We just have to be able... Now, I'm not saying going around telling everybody. For goodness sake, choose your companions wisely. And do not go to... You know, let's just say the scone thing. Just use that. Well, let's say I went to somebody else and perhaps she doesn't like her husband very much. And I said, oh, you'll never guess what Gerald did the other day. Well, it's no good going to someone who's, oh, yes, and you be couldn't believe what my husband did. We're not looking for that sort of birds of a feather flocking together. We're looking for honest input from brothers and sisters, wise input. So choose carefully. Choose wisely. 
find trusted companions. Move out of your comfort zone. Act differently. So let's say, um, oh, well, this has happened a few times, but you know, in my journey as a Christian, there have been many times when people have probably, well, they have, there's, they found me very challenging, but I have found other people very challenging. And, you know, there's a great part of me that, well, would just love to stay in that place. Lord, do you know what they did? Do you know what they said? Do you know how sinful they are? Do you know what they're like? And I feel like, well, this wouldn't be Christian today, wouldn't I just love to call down the fire of heaven, you know, for God to judge them? But, of course, I'd like mercy and grace to cover me. So you're feeling like that. But then maybe when you invite Jesus in, he says to you, Lynn, I want you to bless those people. Those people that have cheated and lied and betrayed you, I want you to ask me to find ways to bless them. Well, guess what? I don't feel like doing that. There is nothing within me that wants to do that. Or take another scenario. You know, maybe I'm feeling really, really low. And we've all felt, we all feel like that from time to time. And maybe Jesus says to me, Lynn, I want you to praise me. Well, I don't feel like doing that. But this is where, this is what growing up as a Christian looks like. This is what going on to maturity looks like. It's not how many Bible verses do you know. It's how much of you are you willing to bring to the cross and do that exchange of your life for Jesus' life. And it's hard work. We have to roll up our sleeves. We have to be diligent. We have to be intentional and purposeful. We, we sing about surrendering to the Lord. Well, how about if you have to bless your enemies? That's where the rubber hits the road. But this is what Jesus is calling us to because he loves us, and he has great purposes for us. All of us, it's those gold leaves. Do you know there's a prophetic word, well, there's a few actually, that the river of God is going to flow out of this place through the city. But it doesn't come without God's people paying a price. And the price is allowing the spirit of God and the word of God to work deep within us. Um. And just in that, the final thing is to pray for courage because there will be many, many people that will try to stop you. Do, if you had a look at the homework last week, when David tried to be who God had created him to be, he was met by resistance from his family, from the Israelites, from the king, <clears throat> and from Goliath. But he carried on. He had to withstand all against that. We talked about Jesus last week, having to stand up against what his family wanted and the Pharisees and the disciples and the crowd. So if we are going to go on this journey, we have to be prepared to be steadfast and courageous to see it through to the end because there are great things in store for us. Just one other thing. It's a bit disconnected, but I just wanted. Oh, 
I've lost it. Anyway, I'll just use this one. It's on the screen. Oh. It's on the screen. Okay. Yeah. Good old Starbucks coffee. There's one other thing I just felt I should put in at this point. It doesn't quite follow on. But we need to understand that each of us as a person, God has designed us to be like a cup. And he's designed us to be filled from without. So God's intention is that we are filled by the Spirit. We are filled with truth. We are filled with his presence. But sometimes, well, a lot of the time actually, we fill our cup with, what's the first one? The next slide. Oh, sorry. We try to fill our cup with, I am what I do. It's my performance that counts. Hey, I've got six degrees. Hey, I'm the chief finance officer for somewhere or other. Hey, I'm a consultant with what we have. So I go out and I buy, we had a gentleman staying with us. He's in his 70s, he's just gone. And he has a wife who's also in his 70s. She has 100 pairs of shoes at least. He gave up counting at 100. That's a lady whose identity is in her shoes. And they will be German shoes, so they'll be good shoes. <laughs> her identity is in her footwear. His identity was also, everything was mega expensive. And what, what people with possessions are saying, and Christians do it just as much as non-Christians, hey, I am my brand of trainers or I am a diamond ring, or I am the car I drive. It's ridiculous, but we do it without realizing. The final thing I, we do is I fill my cup, and this is my weakness. This has been my battle all my life. I fill my cup by what others think of me, by popularity. I, my battle has been not to live before others, but to live before an audience of one. But that is really challenging for me at different times. So often we fill our cup. Oh, I'm popular. I've got a thousand friends on, a thousand followers on Facebook, or whatever that looks like to you. But what Jesus wants is that you as a cup are filled with pure and living water that is welling up to eternal life. And what Jesus says to all of us is this. You want to make a garden shed out of your life. But he wants to make a palace filled with many, many, many fine things. So let's embark on that journey of dealing with our feelings and allowing the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do.